Live episode six. We've now been doing this for six weeks now, which is crazy. Uh, it's funny to think back. I think Demand Gen Live, we did 102 episodes. So we're like 5% of the way there, um, but we'll keep going. Um, we're, we're actually taking some feedback that we got last week and mixing it up a little bit. This, this episode will be uh, a lot more focused on just live questions and like communities so people can come on. We're great. We have a bunch of questions queued up that people ask for in advance by replying to the email. Um, we can go deeper onto specific topics. So this is going to be like broad and open-ended. Um, when we do these in the future, I'd encourage you like effectively, this is like free consulting with me and companies actually pay a ton of money for it. So if you want my help, I'd like, this is why I'm here. I'm here to help people. And then through being able to help you one-on-one, -on -one, there's a ton of people that are here live that are either listening, that might be working on the same thing or, Hey, I'd never thought about that before. That's really interesting. Or some people listening to the podcast afterwards. Um, and so, yeah, this, this uh, whole format is basically just to help you all on the specific challenges that you're working on. As always, the audio recordings of this are going to be published live on the Revenue Vitals podcast starting tomorrow. Um, we're also doing an event on Thursday. So for those of you that have heard a little bit about the uh, go-to-market research and consulting offering that we've built here called The Vault, uh, we're doing an event on Thursday. Kaylee will drop the link in here if you want to attend. We'll also send it out afterwards where we're gonna have one, we have about 25 customers in there right now. So there's like communities and events, there's projects and workshops, there's all the research and intellectual property and playbooks that we've created over time, as well as just an overarching level of like broad open-ended consulting on whatever you are working on in your business. Uh, it's also at a much more accessible price point than um, than my company, Refine Labs, that does full-scale executions. This is a lot more consulting and lower touch. If you're interested in learning more, there's gonna be a couple of our customers there presenting about how they've been using the product and the consulting. So there could be a way for you to learn and get more. If that's something that you've heard about and wanna learn more about, feel free to attend. That's on Thursday. Um, and then again, before we get started, I just want to thank each and every one of you for being here. We get to create some content together. We get to learn from one another. Uh, there's so many different ways that you could be spending this, uh, hour of time on your Tuesday. And I'm really happy for you all to be here. So with that said, there is no like deck or presentation or anything today. So let's just fire away and get into it and see where it ends up. Oh, and if, if you all have questions or things you want to talk through, just queue them up in the chat and uh, we'll prioritize people that want to come on live and have like a deeper discussion. Awesome. Let's kick it off. Uh, Rob, I'm going to ask you to unmute. You had a really great question to ask live a couple of weeks ago that we didn't get to. So happy to prioritize you in the queue today. Yeah. Thank you, Kaylee. Hey, Chris. It's nice to chat with you here. Yeah, man. Uh, so my, my question is, you know, a lot of companies that are moving from more of a traditional lead, you know, demand gen model, you know, what, what dark channels would you recommend they maybe prioritize on? Is it maybe doing a podcast, a webinar, LinkedIn live events? Um, and then the second part of the question is I get a lot of pushback from, you know, senior executives of companies because they don't want to be the face of one of those events. Uh, any thoughts about that or how, how would you kind of dissect that? Yeah, totally. Let's go, let's take them uh, one at a time. So um, if you think about like getting started on this, I wouldn't think about it as channels and I'd be thinking about how do I get the content flow working, okay? So getting started, the two things I would prioritize is doing a weekly recurring live event, like the one that we're doing right here, kind of meta, weekly live event, invite people that are either like, that are like your target customer, your target customer, or things like that. Um, and then be able to convert that, use the event not as a way to sell to like the people that are on the event, but use it as a way to help them do consulting, uh, create content together, then take that content, 
and then put it on a long form podcast, which is actually pretty simple. And they're like, we can, I can talk to you about some editing services and things if you want later. Um, and then from there you have a video, you have a audio long form audio asset, you have a long form video asset, and then you can take the long form video asset and chop it up and then use that for whatever social platforms that you want. Um, an additional, yeah. like if you have an email list, you could also take the event long form podcast and then be able to use email as a distribution channel to get some people into the podcast or other things like that. Um, so you have like the content creation framework, which is the event, which is a very different way of thinking about an event than how most companies think about it. So event is actually the, the method to create content. And then you have the downstream distribution in long form and short form. So that's like the, the way, and then on the back end, you need to make sure that the, like the website and the other places like that, that you have set up. So if people are interested, they're able to find you, you're able to message appropriately. They have a clear path to convert. So that's kind of like the, the like 101, how to get started in this. Now, when we think about the, uh, like getting senior execs on board, I've, you know, gone through this tons of times, whether it's in consulting at my company, Refine Labs, or when I was actually like a marketing employee or a head of marketing at different companies before I started mine. Um, and I'll give you a, one example. So we were, uh, we were marketing to like physicians and we actually had like an incredibly smart and talented, um, uh, senior director of clinical and intellectual property. Um, and he was like very well versed in all of the clinical research. He could speak to a physician in an educated way. He was like the person in our company who would be like really great to do this. Um, and to him, he was like this, you know, out doing a podcast, like making, writing blogs, like this isn't worth my time is basically the, the response that I got initially. Um, and so there was two things that I did. The first thing is that instead of having him like write a blog or do something like that, I, I put him in positions that he would want to be in. And then I just recorded it. So mm. we got him a speaking slot at the, we presented at 12 conferences. At that point, we eventually started cutting down our booth expenses for obvious reasons, but I got him speaking at like, I think four of the 12 conferences that we were already going to go to. And then we were just able to record the speech, both in video and audio. And then that became content that was the first sign. And then you produce that, you put it on the website, you show them the video analytics. They see, oh, damn, like I presented on that. And there were 100 people in the room. But then we posted it on LinkedIn and on YouTube and here. And another 20,000 people listened to it. This is make, starts to make sense to me. I can, And then you start to get them. You have to get them to have the aha of like, wow, uh, take put them in some place where they already are comfortable or they want to do it already. And then, and then use that to show them that the digital distribution amplifies their ability to communicate with a lot of people. The second thing that I did was I actually went out to external people, thought leaders. So people that had done clinical trials about our product, uh, top power users at really well-respected institutions and hospitals. And I would interview them talking about the research they did with our product or how they're using our product so that, that the people inside the company could also see what it looked like to have someone else do it. So, um, when you like at that point, I'm not a physician, I'm not, but if I was the host of the podcast, people would be like, what are you doing? You're, you work in marketing. And so being able to like strategically show people here is what it could look like and then show them how many additional, like how much additional reach or views or consumption of their message they could get by using this, I think is a really strong strategy. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I always remember when I was in sales, most of the principals of the company were the thought leaders and their profiles on LinkedIn were always very underutilized, right? They're the ones that didn't even have a background pick on their profile. And uh, it's a lot of wasted uh, opportunity there. So that's awesome. Thank you so much. Totally. And there's all there's also a cultural element here. So not like cultural, like what country you're from, but a cult, like a company cultural thing and a business strategy element um, that like this, uh, if you're asking the CEO to do it, like it has to be core to the business strategy or they're going to find an excuse or rationale as to why not to do it. Um, mm -hmm. And so in that like it's about identifying who is the who are the possible people inside of our company that have authority, respect, and knowledge that our target customers 
would get a lot of value from. There's probably in a lot of companies, there's multiple people, right? There's probably like, this is the, the most obvious one, but there's probably multiple people. And if you can't get any people initially, then figure out how do I go externally to get the wheels turning to sort of get a proof of concept going and then use that as a way to get someone to see the impact. Awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. Another, I'll just keep going here because it's fun. Um, another like cool angle uh, that you can take here is to um, show like if, if you get self-reported attribution installed, that could be a vehicle to sort of like have some of the proof about where stuff is coming from, word of mouth referrals, other dark social, like that could be one way. And then to get onto the lead gen point, like show people the business data about lead gen. So like we've done more than probably 200 analyses at companies now and just like showing them like with lead gen, you get high volume, cheap leads, direct attribution, all the things that you've been trained that you want to get you know, low cost MQLs, but the conversion rate to a qualified opportunity for your sales team is less than 1%. The conversion rate to close one is less than 0.1%. The customer acquisition cost of these is calculated at this. You, your SDRs need to make this many calls to just get a meeting and then compare that in other ways. So there's a angle of like, here's how this could work. And then there's another angle where people just need to look and see the data of like, here's the current state of what we're doing right now and make a hard look at like an assessment of, is this act, is this good? Is this acceptable? Um, Chris, in the first part of that response, we got a couple of questions too around the weekly live events call out specifically. Um, share your POV on smaller brands. We've got a couple of people that are apprehensive or a little more nervous um, if they have smaller brand awareness about what the original like audience size or turnout to a weekly live event would be. So when I got this, I'm just going to tell, like, I don't have to give advice. Like this is exactly what I did at the beginning when very few people knew me. I had no followers on LinkedIn. We didn't even have a podcast. I would just do one-to-one consulting calls and just record my side of the call and just record what I said. So there was no audience. When we did the first demand gen live uh, in March of 2020, I think 17 people showed up. Um, the point here is that the the goal of the event is to create content, not to have millions of, te- of attendees. And even with like the amount of uh, profile and awareness and things that my company has today, there's 94 people on here, right? Like you don't big, big numbers is not the goal. And that's sort of like a mindset shift that a lot of people had. I think that like even having three to five people just allows you to go deeper with those three to five people. Maybe it's going to be a little bit more challenging to drum up engagement or things like that. But, um, like I've found that oftentimes the smaller the event, the better the content that you create from it. Cause you can go deeper. Um, so I love when like, I'm doing a webinar, like a company sponsored me to do a webinar and like 12 people show up. A lot of people would be like, why? Like, oh my God, I'm wasting my time for 12 people. And I love it because I know we're going to create great content. I know I'm going to give the opportunity to help people. Um, and so it's just a, it's like the the key take home here. It's a, it's a mindset shift about what the goal of the event is. Everyone's been trained that the goal of the event is to get as many people registered and as many people to attend as possible. And I think the goal is to be able to help people to create word of mouth and to create good content that you can fuel downstream. So, but there's a couple tips there about being able to use like just a one-on-one consulting call where you record your side just for anonymity and privacy, just record your side or get permission to record the whole thing to do like a smaller event, to think about introducing a, like a, a co-host or a co-partner from a different company that might have a larger audience or a base that could bring a couple other people in. Um, There's tons of different options to this, uh, but don't get caught up in the numbers, especially at the beginning. Yeah, that's a great take. Um, Let's see, we've got Tatiana in the queue next. I'll ask you to unmute and ask your question live. Hi, good evening or good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. So um, I've been following you, Chris Walker, for a year now. And I have to say, every single thing you say, I agree with. Every single thing you say just rings true and makes so much sense. I want to address a bit of an elephant in the room because I don't think anybody's addressed this before in your advice. When you talk about creating a content engine in-house and interviewing internal SMEs and putting them at the forefront, which I agree completely with, 
And it works so well for Refine Labs because I, you know, your employees evangelize your brand and it, you know, and I evangelize your brand to people I know. Surely it cannot escape your attention that the reason why having a, a video heavy content engine in house works so well. And I say this with nothing but respect. It works well because you're quite easy to look at. I mean, you and all the other senior members of staff that you have in your, in your company are better looking than average. I work with world-class SMEs in, they are, they are architects and software. They are experts in software, architecting software from regulated industries like insurance and accounting. And, you know, they're in their fifties and sixties. They don't dress well. They're obese. Some of them don't speak English as a first language. If I were to copy and paste wholesale, this demand generation strategy, you know, and it got like two likes on LinkedIn, I would lose the trust of my SMEs. I can't just copy and paste your strategy and say, yeah, come on, let's do it. This is what we do in 2023. Get the videos out, get the tripods out. Because it just wouldn't work the same way. It wouldn't be like interviewing Chris Walker or, you know, all the other good looking people in your company. So what do I do, Chris? I can't lose the trust of my SMEs. I can't rely on blog articles. Just help me out. Yeah, for sure. First off, I'm uh, super flattered and kind of funny. So thank you. But it's a real problem. <laughs> yeah, real yeah, problem. yeah. We can we can uh, definitely get this addressed. First off, like nobody sees my face on the podcast. It's just your voice. So like the podcast avenue is a huge thing and you don't need big numbers on a podcast to make a big impact, especially if you're selling big deals. Um, so like, I think the podcast is an obvious one. Um, and then for like the first nine months of, of LinkedIn for me, I never posted a picture or a video. It was all written posts. So, and to be frank, like written posts, uh, from an algorithmic standpoint work better than video. I still disagree with how LinkedIn does it. And I think that they're going to get, they don't start moving to video first. They're going to get left behind in a lot of ways, but like that, the algorithm prioritizes text posts in there. So like, there's so many things that you can do in the absence of video, um, to get things started. And that's exactly the path that I took. Um, the second thing is that regardless of whether I'm a, a t more attractive than average or that I'm in shape or whatever, um, that the, a lot of the reason that people listen to me, I hope that the, a lot of the reason people listen to me is not because of that. It's because of the quality of the information and the insights that I provide that give people boosts in their career or boosts in their company to grow. And so the production quality is great. Having an attractive person speak, is great, but when it comes down to it, especially in B2B content, people are here because they want to advance their careers, learn new things, get unlocks that are gonna be able to help their company grow or get them promoted or help them start their company or things like that. And so the quality of the information is always the top priority. The last thing that I'll say is that uh, the way that I speak and the way that the video production works and the way that I write on LinkedIn, is a skill, a skill that I've been working deeply on for more than four years now. And so if you go back to the beginning about me, like on a podcast, like the quality wasn't that great. Uh, my ability to communicate a message succinctly and clearly wasn't as nearly as strong. Um, there's like a lot of practice that goes into it. So um, I think those sort of address one of the points. And then there's another point about like mindset overall. And it's a, it's already a theme in this, uh, in this event of like lo losing the trust of an SME because you made a LinkedIn post and got two likes on it as the first post. Like my first post on LinkedIn got somewhere between zero and three likes. Mm -hmm. And like the, and that probably, and I got no more than 20 for the first three to six months that I posted on LinkedIn. I'm not joking. People can go, LinkedIn sucks at archiving content too. Another bone I have to pick with LinkedIn. But if you want to scroll for 58 minutes and go and try and find my post from 2019, you'll see that most of my posts got almost no engagement for the first six months. Um, and that's the way that content works. So um, there's a mindset element of like, we know this is important to customers. We know that doing it, even if it doesn't create this initial, like we don't get trillions of views and we don't go viral and things like that in the first week, that it's important to do. 
that over time, our customers are going to continue to further and further prioritize dark social channels, information from individuals and thought leaders, doing research independently. The longer that we wait to not to stop doing this because our SMEs are either like not good looking or going to be mad when they get two likes. It's just putting our company at a huge disadvantage over time. And one of our competitors at some point is going to figure this out before us. They're going to get someone that's going to do it. They're going to be able to figure it out. They're going to build a competitive advantage. They're going to use the events and the content to fuel customer insights. They're going to make a better product. They're going to create this flywheel effect that happens where you have awareness, you get insights, you feed those insights back into product, you feed those insights back into marketing and sales, you update your messaging, you update your product, and the insights keep fueling. And eventually, they create a massive advantage over your company. And so there's like a there's a whole nother element here of just like the views and the and the pipeline in the first three months and those things aren't really the goal. The goal is to be able to clarify your point of view, clarify messaging, help a lot of people, fuel word of mouth, uh, create a space where a lot of people that are potential employees are now listening to your podcast and now are interested in your message and now want to join your community, then now want to be a part of your company. I think there's just so much more that people don't value in this type of strategy. Uh, and that this strategy is not optional anymore. And just the law, uh, it's like required based on how customers buy. And the longer that, that a company waits, just the longer, the, the more likely and more vulnerable they are in a competitive situation. I hear you, Chris. Thank you. I know it's not about, about the external, but it does help. You can't, I know you're humble, but you can't, it can't escape your attention. I'm sure. I do my best to, I take a shower before I do these events. I try and put on a polo. Like I, I do, I do my best. Yeah. I'm trying to think though, honestly, I'm trying to think of all of the people that I listen to that influence me. And I, I don't know that all of them are attractive or that I've ever even really paid attention for yeah. whatever that's worth. I think I normally am attracted to what people are saying. If they have a, like a cutting edge point of view, something that's kind of normally like rebellious or, you know, um, non-obvious in nature is normally what attracts me. So I think if your uh, SMEs check those boxes, that's far more important than, you know, the skin they sit in. But that was a hilarious topic, Tatiana. And I yeah. really appreciate you dropping it. <laughs> Let's Let's riff. We've got a couple of questions that came in from multiple sources. Um, and I'm not sure if all these people are on live, so I'll ask the questions on their behalf. Um, it's your first 90 days as a CMO uh, for a Series A startup, SaaS, uh, in a fairly competitive space. They have product market fit, but no real marketing has been done to date. What do you do? Cool. A couple key things just so people understand how I look at this. The, the stage of the company is huge. And also, like when you say Series A and product market fit at the same time, I immediately question that. Um, I think that there might be some initial traction. I think that they might have you know, 20 customers or a million ARR, um, but a repeatable go-to-market motion with clear messaging and a very dialed in uh, ideal customer profile is unlikely at the time of a raise of Series A. Um, also, like competitive space is an interesting keyword that was used there. Um, so I would, do, I would do things differently if this was a Series D company at 40 million ARR, just to, to be clear. Um, Series A company outside of like, you know, the internal stuff, building relationships, things like that. I'm just going to sort of like call that table stakes. Um, the first thing that I'm going to do is analyze the business data. I'm going to look at where is our revenue coming from? What are our close rates? What's our ACV? What cost, who is the decision maker on the deal? What types of companies are buying from us? What size? Different things like that. Where are our closed loss deals? Why are we losing deals? I might go out and call 10 lost deals, the main contact on those deals and say, hey, saw, you know, saw we lost this. I'm not trying to win back your business, but I'm just curious, like, what did you end up doing? What, how did the process go for you? Did you end up buying something else? What was that like? Why did you make no decision? And so I might do a little bit of a loss analysis. Then I'm going to start to segment our customers based on usage and look at the top whatever five customers, maybe we don't have usage data. So we just have to take like an anecdotal from CSMs or someone like that. Uh, look at our top customers and say, what is similar about all of these top customers? 
and try and then try and look at like easily available data. It might be company size. It could be um, it could be industry. It could be the type of product that they sell or the size of the deal that they sell. Or there's so many different whether they have manufacturing facilities or what country they're located in. There's so many different things that you could look at as patterns. And then I'm actually going to go out to those customers and figure out. I see these like firmographic things, but there's something underneath the firmographics about why all these companies are successful. It's psychographics. Um, it is the way that the CMO thinks it's like the style, there's something underlying that you want to try and figure out through qualitative customer interviews about why all these customers are your top <laughs> customers. And then I'm going to go and look at the bottom customers, just like in the closed loss analysis. I'm going to try and figure out why are the, why are the bottom customers, the bottom customers. I'm going to go through and look at the firmographic data, and then I'm going to go out and do qualitative interviews. So that's all like business analysis and looking at actual current paying customers. Then I'm going to pull up, take those all of those learnings and hypotheses. I'm going to look at the top performing customers. I'm going to say, here's the things that I learned. Here are the what reasons why. And I'm going to go and try and identify 10 co companies like them that are not in our pipeline and don't use our product. And I'm going to try and figure out, do I can I take that messaging and can I go out to these companies and I can can I get receptiveness into the message? I'm not trying to sell them. But I'm trying to say, do you have the, do you have these same problems? What are you doing to solve this right now? And try and identify and use my brain to say, there's an open white space here, and this is the target customer. Um, a lot of Series A's companies and CM, head of marketing CMOs skip this step, and it's probably the most important step there is. And they skip the step because the Series A company just raised three million bucks, and they need to hit a pipeline target, and they have no idea how they're going to hit it. So they just get into doing a website refresh and running ads and skipping the core thing that's going to drive all the success. So that probably is going to take you 30 to 45 days. Um, I'm going to sp spin up a like updated, not a whole new website, not a whole new brand. I'm going to update the homepage and I'm going to make the conversion path so the people that want to talk to our sales team can talk to our sales team easily. I'm going to be able to allow them to book a meeting with the sales team so they can just book it straight away. I'm going to make the inbound conversion path as simple as possible. I'm going to make sure that our homepage message resonates. I'm going to make make sure that uh, works well. Um, the next thing that I would do, honestly, is I would make two uh, customer stories. I would go out to our top two performing customers. I already talked to them at the original thing. I might have floated this out to them and say, "Hey, I know you're seeing this success. Would you be open to doing a story about how you use this, how you use our product?" And so now I'm in like first thing strategy. Now I'm in what am I going to do to drive revenue right now? So I'm going to go and try and get a couple of customer stories. And then I would take those stories. I would put make web pages for them. Maybe there's a video. Maybe it's just a web page. And then I would figure out how to use some level of organic or very light paid distribution to get those customer stories in front of target customers that I've identified. Email, organic LinkedIn, our CEO posting about it, running LinkedIn ads to our you know top 100 accounts that we think is right. Even though I think at this stage, like I think paid... There's too many variables of why paid wouldn't work. You don't really know your ICP. You don't really know the message is going to work. So I'm like kind of iffy on the paid recommendation. And then I would probably try and set up um, a, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, a group sort of demo where we have our best customers present how they're using the product or just talk through how they use it. So I'd be, I'd actually be focused a ton on early early fit customers and then driving that into social proof to drive revenue now. Um, and then I'm sure that there's a bunch of other things that we could get into, but like you figure out what's my hypothesis on the strategy, ICP type of company, why they buy, how are we going to message, how are we going to position? And then like work lower, like lower funnel customer stories, amplify customer stories to uh, show people, show tar customers in a way that they trust how how other people are using it that are like them to try and drive pipeline. Um, a couple other things that I would do is I would um, I would take uh, I was going to say I would take a look at the sales process, but I'm not really sure that uh, like I kind of like think now like a CEO, CMO, CRO at the same time. So um, maybe I wouldn't do that as a CMO. I think those, I guess, Kaylee, feel free to drop other things, but I think that's a, a pretty strong 90 days. 
I think it's a pretty strong 90 days. I think the only other thing that I'll maybe go one layer deeper on is those initial customer calls. Um, when I read this question, it came through on, um, a Slack chat. Uh, my first thought was customer calls. Um, and my last gig, I entered into, uh, it was still B2B SaaS startup, all the things I'm used to, but it was an industry that was quite foreign. Um, early education, which I knew nothing about, a buyer that I didn't understand. So those customer calls were very grounding for me. I think I made a goal like in the first 30 days, make 30 customer calls and had six questions that were all the same questions asked all six of them. The calls would normally last 10 to 15 minutes. I cold called them. It was an audience that's like very phone heavy for the success of their business. So the answer rates were really high. Um, and those trends that I found from those calls helped me identify like my next 90 days and set goals with my CMO. Um, quickly, I'll like highlight the questions just in case they're helpful for anybody listening. It was things similar to what Chris has already said. So what did you buy? Um, like looking for pattern matching on the value prop when they say the words of the value prop in their own language, because it's probably a language that's not how I would describe the product itself. Um, what problem were you hoping to solve? So looking for problem solution based languaging that you can use in all of your marketing materials. What were you afraid of before buying? So objections and getting in front of that. Um, what's your favorite part of the product? what's changed the most in your business since you've actually bought the product that can help with some of those testimonials that Chris was getting at. And then how would you describe your product, the product that you've bought to another persona that's in a similar situation? All of that stuff really helped me get close to that customer base just because they were so different than anybody else I'd ever marketed to. So I'd do that as a, an immediate like first 30 days step too. Great stuff right there. We just uh, we just covered the actionable promise on Revenue Vitals Live. That was awesome, Kaylee. <laughs> um, okay, love to be actionable. Let me try again and bring. I'm just like going to ask you to unmute so that I don't say your name wrong again, and you can just set the record straight. <laughs> Hello, do you hear me? You're in. Yes. Yeah. This is Fati. Fati, it's an Egyptian name. I'm actually based in France, but this is an Egyptian name. Yeah. Yep. Delivering also um, on the more accessible time slots. Now we got people in EMEA joining. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I have a question um, regarding a current uh, paid social campaign that I run. I would like to know how do you assess um, which ads are superforming? How do you run an A-B test? Because uh, there is so many, uh, so many KPIs that we can uh, um, base our view on. So I'm interested to know how do you do that? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting um, and probably like an answer that a lot of people may not expect unless they've been listening to this stuff for a long time. But I uh, I don't believe in A-B testing for paid social unless you're doing performance marketing with a specific direct response goal. So like if the goal is I want to run this ad and get as many signups as possible or get as many people to download the ebook or get as many people to sign up for the webinar, that is I want them to click and do something then perform uh, a b testing makes sense with performance marketing it's very it's a very performance marketing mindset um if you are trying to create demand to educate buyers to distribute information to target accounts not looking for a direct response conversion because in many enterprise motions like that you go for a direct response conversion you just waste your sales team's time because these people aren't ready to buy and so um, there's, uh, if you're doing performance marketing, AB testing is appropriate. If you're trying to create, this is the case, this is the case Yeah. yeah. at this stage, this is not really a demand gen campaign. It is more a performance one. Cool. Yeah. Let me, uh, then, uh, I'll cover, I'll answer that for you. I just want to make sure that everyone gets this in here. If you, so AB testing works for performance marketing, Google ads, any type, any type of performance marketing and things like that. If you're trying to create demand, then A-B testing I don't think makes sense. The goal of this is to distribute information and get message across to a specific set of people in a way that it's consumed. And so, and the key word here is, is the message is consumed. And so things that I'm looking for in this side are frequency. I'm hoping that everyone in my audience at least has two, two to three opportunities minimum to actually consume the ad. 
If it's a video ad, I'm going to look at what percentage of the video are people watching. Um, I'm going to set up custom conversions inside of LinkedIn. It doesn't work as well on Facebook and Instagram due to iOS 14. Um, but I'm going to set up custom conversions inside of LinkedIn. And I'm going to look at if people saw this ad and then within 30, 60, 90 days, did they submit a demo form or a contact us or a contact sales or something like that on our website? Um, and the those types of indicators are going to be able to tell me, is it actually driving a result? And then I'm going to look at self-reported attribution. And I'm going to see, are people saying they heard about us on on LinkedIn? And to me, when you're in this type of strategy, it's not about which did one ad perform better than another. It's about, am I getting the message out? And then is LinkedIn overall working? Like my example with my content on LinkedIn, like I post content at the beginning, seven days a week. Right now I'm running somewhere between three and five times a week posting video content. And it's the accumulation of a hundred different posts on things on LinkedIn that drives someone to want to come and talk to my company, not one post specifically. So now let's now that I covered that just for everyone. Now let's talk about your thing. Um, what exactly are you trying to accomplish? You're trying to have people sign up for a free trial. You're trying to have people download content. What are you trying to do? Um, at this stage with this company, we are in a pre product market fit. So we are trying to assess, uh, the, the best USP, um, um, the, the best value proposition, I would say. Mm -hmm. So I made five, five ads, let's say five, uh, five images. Uh, with uh, the five different uh, pro proposition value, and they have the they have the same text um, regarding the format, the form, uh, the format. This is exactly the same. We have the basically the same uh, same image, but uh, with the different the, the five different angle. Mm -hmm. And I would like to know. Um, which one is the best, the, the one that is resonating, uh, with the market. Um, but what I see is that, um, I can have one ad that is, um, having the best engagement rate, but not necessarily the best CTR and not necessarily the best custom conversion rate. So I have different, mm -hmm. you know, uh, KPIs that, that, that is not telling, let's say the same story. So it's kind of confusing. Totally. Um, I'm, I, this is definitely not going to be the answer that you expect, but you're trying to like uh, hit a nail in with a like, shovel or a screwdriver. You're using the wrong tool to accomplish what you're trying to do. A lot of companies try and do this. They try and use a paid ad and an image and look at engagement metrics to decide which value prop or messaging works the best. When in reality, especially at your stage, pre-product market fit, you should do what Kaylee and I talked about in the previous question, which is go and have actual conversations with customers and non-customers and get the qualitative feedback and you validate it in that way. And then you have hypotheses that you go and test with net new customers in like a sales or a market research conversation. And you figure out the, the messaging by talking to customers. And then once mm. you have the actual messaging, you probably want to move that into a, like into some level of a sales test. Like maybe one rep is testing new messaging versus rolling out across the whole team. And you want to see that, hey, when we have these opportunities, sales closes deals with this message. Then you start to say, okay, now we know what's working in this closing deals. Now let's put those in ads. Now let's put, now we know what the value proposition is. Now let's play with five different ways to say that value proposition that we already know works. I see. I see. I see. Okay. Thank you. It's pretty clear. It's not the, the answer that I was expecting to be honest, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, thank you. It's pretty clear. And, um, if I switch on, uh, demon gen on the uh, demon gen, gen mode, sorry. Um, is it not, um, we, we all have, you know, um, uh, limited budget. Mm -hmm. So we understand that we can't make, um, uh, A-B testing regarding our ads, but is there a way to optimize? Is there a way to, to cut some of them, even if this is not a proper A-B test? Uh, given your stage, I would not be running paid marketing right now. Mm. 
I would be figuring out why, like, why do people buy? And then how can we engage them in organic or sales or partner or events or an event like the a virtual event like the one that we're doing or a you know table at a trade show booth or through word of mouth referrals mm. or having a customer come and do a webinar. Like those are the things that I would be focused on right now. Um, I wouldn't activate paid, especially digital paid marketing until you have a clear sense about who you're selling to and why they buy and what message resonates. Yeah, I totally agree for that client. Uh, sorry, uh, Chris, I didn't, uh, I didn't make a proper transition. <laughs> I, w- I wanted to, to, to ask this question for another client. because okay. um, I, I, I am a freelancer in marketing and B2B marketing. I'm running paid social for them. And, uh, for this client, the mark, the, um, the, the, the project market fit is much more, uh, uh achieved, let's say, mm. um, and we are more uh, near um, the, the position to, to, to activate this dimension mode. Um, and I wanted to bounce back on what you said before, uh, the fact that this is not an A-B test, a proper A-B test, but mm-hmm. uh, we, have st- we still have a, a limited budget. How can we optimize uh, um, this, um, those assets? Um, with a limited budget, I would... Uh narrow the target that's appropriate to the budget to make sure that you achieve a level of frequency between two or three per campaign or per message. So like if you only can spend $2,000 a month, it doesn't make a lot of sense to go out and target 100,000 accounts. So only a few of them are going to see it. They're going to see it with little frequency and the odds of it like actually having an impact across that set would be low. So I would narrow in on who the people that are most likely to buy that's appropriate to the budget that we have. It also gives you a very clear test like we're going to name 100 of these accounts. We're going to spend we think that they have the biggest predisposition to buy the product now for whatever intent or reasons that we have. And now we're going to run these campaigns and we're going to see how many of those accounts become uh, pipeline or things like that. Maybe we, if you're small and nimble, you can activate some level of like a sales orchestration with that, with that campaign. Um, and then other things that I would look at, like, um, click through rate becomes a decent indicator, but I don't think it's a, it's not a silver bullet for sure. Um, I Mm. like, I see a lot of ads that I recall the message. It makes sense. I'm like, that was a great ad, but I didn't click on it. And so by you just by saying click through rate, especially when we think about like zero click content or dark, you know, in the feed native consumption that by using click through rate, it can be very misleading. Um, I think engagement rate is a flawed metric. Um, Custom Mm -hmm. conversions even is a flawed metric, especially if you use it the right way where it's just on last touch. Um, so conversions aren't double counting. It can also be a flawed metric. So there's like in, in platform, there's really no way to be able to like Mm. truly optimize It's directional at best, um, and self-reported attribution. People aren't going to say, I I saw this specific ad. So you're not gonna be able to get it there. If you even ask the customer, they're probably not gonna be able to recall exactly what they did. Um, and so like the, the take home here is you want to have a pretty high degree of certainty that the message already works. And then the only goal of the media dollars is to effectively distribute the, the content or message for consumption. And so that's the, okay. yeah. Okay. Super great. Thank you, Chris. Awesome. Thank Happy you. to help. Thanks for joining all the way across the Thank world. You. Awesome. We've got several in the queue. So, um, Jake, I'll go ahead and ask you to unmute and come on next. Right. How are we doing, guys? Good. Hey, Jake. Great to have you. Good. Thanks. All the way from New Zealand. So I do like the time that you're doing this, which is good. Thumbs up. Um, Question is, so we've got a podcast. We've been doing it for over, we've got 1,300 episodes. It's a daily podcast and it's about property investment in New Zealand. And it goes into every single thing you could think about. Now, we know that that it drives like a third of our revenue based on self, self-reported attribution. So I've set that up in HubSpot and it's really good. But now we want to turn the tap on and we want to go from, say, 50,000 downloads. I know, you know, a big goal is 100,000 downloads a week. We've been plateauing at this for like a year now. And I just want to get some ideas on what you would do in our situation to scale it 
you know, to go to the next 60,000, 70,000, 80,000. Yeah. A couple of questions to get there. First off, I just want to call out, like they know their podcast is working because they installed self-reported attribution. Just wanted to make a note of that for people. Like if you do a podcast and you don't have self-reported attribution set up, you're really setting yourself up to fail because there's really no, there's no way that a software-based attribution or touchpoint-based attribution will ever measure it. Um, uh, Jake, what's the trend right now? Like what's the last six months been? Or is it like client? Is it climbing? Is it like pretty much plateaued? Like what is the growth? It's, it's hard. Cause like, obviously we're, we're similar market to you guys and that we are, our interest rates are ridiculously high. They've, ju- they've jumped. So we are property like market kind of dependent. Um, so it has gone down a bit and then slowly, slowly started to creep up, you know, say, so, <laughs> Six months ago, we were around about 40,000. That was a drop. And then we've slowly crept up to 50. Then obviously went down over New Year's because we have our massive break. And then now, as people are coming back, New Year, New Me, want to buy an investment, it's starting to creep up again. Yep. Now the important question. How many people in New Zealand could actually, like, actually are interested in this? You have yeah, a property investment in New Zealand. It's possible that you sort of like reached a market saturation. So I'm just curious what you think the number is. So I, I don't have a number in my head, but the benefit for New Zealand is that property is the number one like investment of choice. Um, everyone wants to buy a house and everyone wants to invest. So it it's, would be a lot higher than I probably would be a lot higher in terms of percentage-wise to the states because I know that maybe it's like no one really mm-hmm. talks about bonds or shares, very a, a small amount, but I don't have that number and I'm guessing I do need to figure that out. Yeah, it would just be interesting. I don't know what the population of New Zealand is. And then if you look at people that even have the income level to be able to purchase a rental property, you might actually find that like, wow, there's only 75,000 people that could even do this. 50,000 is great. 100,000 doesn't make sense. I'm not saying that's the case, but I think that exercise is good, right? Like it's the example just to give a like more relevant B2B SaaS example. Like if you're selling to the Fortune 500 companies and your goal is to get 100,000 downloads on your podcast, there's a mismatch between your target audience size and your goals. So that's Mm. one one call out. Um, What else are you doing with the content that you create from the podcast? Uh, So what we do is we get... We, we, we create a lot of articles from them. So like our Google search, we, we own all the, all the uh, terms and mm-hmm. pretty much property investment in New Zealand, a lot of them mm-hmm. going pretty wide. So we do that and then we do chop them up and put them on YouTube shorts, reels mm-hmm. and TikTok. Out of all of the, excluding SEO, if you just focus on like short form social, which, which platform is performing the best and why do you think that? Well, right now, on average, we're getting about the. I mean, YouTube's hard because we do long form videos to a week, but we get about four meetings booked. Um, and then the self reported is YouTube for social media, it's about six. And then for TikTok, it might be one. Hmm. That's per week. Got it. And in the social media bucket, you're not really sure, but it's still giving you a decent. It's mainly indicator. Instagram. Mainly Instagram. Mainly Instagram. Okay. Um, and you said you're posting twice a week on those things? Oh, probably like once a day. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, a good volume. Um, so like the, the, what you're doing right now is like awesome. It's like, based on what you've told me so far, it's like a model for what I want all of my customers to do. And all the B2B companies that listen to my show, like that, the podcast over a thousand episodes, uh, good downloads, social distribution. Um, I'll get to your sort of like the thing about how are we going to grow the podcast, but I'm actually going to go in a couple of different directions because I think there might be other, like maybe that's not the goal. So a couple of things that you could consider. Um, one is geographical expansion. Like I, th- I think if you looked, you might actually have like some level of um, saturation in the New Zealand market. I could be totally off on this. It's just like a hunch. So I think you should look at it and maybe you want to like have New Zealand and Australia, right? So like one way to expand, to grow and expand would be to expand the the geography, especially because yours is like geo targeted. Nobody outside of New Zealand is probably going to listen to the New Zealand uh, investment property podcast. 
Um, another thing that you could consider is how to get, like, do you do a live event at all? Yeah, we do one webinar a month, which we've been doing for like three years. How are those going? They're good. We usually get about 2,000 signups, 800 attendees, and then usually about 10 to 15% close rate. So say we get 100 leads, we'll usually get a 10% close rate on that on closed one deals. Mm -hmm. um, okay. It'd be interesting to test that at twice a month, just for a couple months and see what happens. Just up the frequency there. I'd recommend that. Um, and then there may be, I haven't seen your website, but there may be an opportunity, like in terms of demand creation, it feels like you're like covering a lot of the bases. And so it could be like more of a capture place. Like you got SEO, but how's the messaging on your website? Do you have the right offers? Do you like, do you need to work on pricing and packaging? Is there a way to drive up average sale price and grow that way? Maybe it's not, you need a higher volume of customers. You need to figure out how to create different offers where you make more money per customer. Um, those are some of the, like, I, uh, I could give you like some tips on how to get the podcast higher, but honestly, you, the stuff that you told me you're doing great. Um, I would, I, I would, I would look at this more holistically from like, not just marketing and I'd look at it as the whole business. So you got product place, price promotion, you're doing promotion. Great. Is there ways that we can build new products? Is there ways that we can drive up uh, or adjust pricing to get more revenue per customer? Is there a way that we can expand geographies or change our like overall sales motion to get better success? I'd just like look at it more at a business level than just a marketing level. Yeah, that's quite true. We are going through a whole, we've just done a rebrand. And one of the things is our website is like probably our weakest link and our mm -hmm. messaging is not the best. So that we the do focus one area much where on I focus. You probably get tons of website traffic, yeah? Yeah, we usually get like uh, between 50,000 sessions a month, which is quite good for New Zealand. Yeah, that would be my number one focus is like getting the, especially the homepage to like really communicate the value. And then the next place I would look is like, where are my, where are my offers? Am I able to have a like low priced offer with like a, you know, a course or something like that. People can get like a hundred bucks. I'm not exactly sure what your revenue model is. So I'm kind of like inferring here, but is there a way that I can get people in at a, at a lower price point for like a low touch or self-service offer? And is there a way that I can get a higher ASP with a, with a stronger offer? So I don't need to close more customers to get more revenue. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cool, man. Great chat. Great. Keep it up. Yeah. You're a, uh, you're modeling it out. Anyone that wants to go check out what, uh, Jake's doing, check out, uh, the property investment of New Zealand podcasts, some of the socials and see what he's doing. It sounds like he's doing a great job. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Thanks guys. Thanks. And thanks for joining all the way from across the world. All right. Um, we're almost at the top of the hour, but I think we've got one, one more, more that yeah. wants to come on live. If we can squeeze it in. Um, let me try and find your name on the zoom justin i'll ask you to unmute and join us live can you hear me gotcha justin what's up man how's your 2023 starting out it's been awesome so far uh good to see you again yeah good to see you um, too. So i'm in a new role congrats uh we're we're at a I, I left the old company to go to a cybersecurity startup nice the so much different new learnings uh, environment yeah yeah congratulations but uh, thank you um we have zero demand like okay. maybe there's one inbound lead a week um the team is cold calling people or buying list off zoom info and spamming them mm. and uh so I'm looking for what things I can do initially uh, for some quick wins. I think like some of the things I thought of, like right now, there's no way for anyone to self-educate on the product. Um, so I was going to have a, make a video demo and let that be at least an offer I can do on the site, but we don't really have a content engine. We don't really have, organic traffic we're doing some search but it's uh not very effective right now there's no brand recognition um now the cold calling 
we're we're growing triple digits a year on cold calling and reselling. But Mm -hmm. so I think if the message got in front of the right people, it would resonate. But yeah, I'm just, I would really like some tips for initial things I could do to, to build out demand, prove the model, uh, get some buy-in and get some investment in it. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, it's super interesting that, you don't have more inbound demand just driven off of word of mouth and like referrals and things like that. That, that one su- surprises me. Um, there just, may be yeah. some word of mouth. We, I mean, it, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the first things I'm going to do is put the, how did you hear about us? I think that's a great start. And then you'll always see out of the four to six a month that we get, like where are those things coming from? You could also consider doing like the same thing I talked about at the beginning. You could go and reference that like, uh, close law, like loss analysis, go and talk to some customers, understand that type of stuff. Um, yeah, that's one thing. Like if you think about it and break like in chunks, it's like, like strategy, you probably know who, who the target customer is and why they buy. You probably have some of that stuff ironed out and then it's just, and then demand capture. So it's like, how do we get the website in the right place? How do we have a clear conversion path? How do we have some customer stories and the right logos and, um, a product tour and like the proper descriptions that people are getting the information they need on the website and then, uh, demand creation. I think a good one here would be, um, doing events where happy customers explain how they use the product. Maybe that's not, maybe that doesn't work in cybersecurity. I could be wrong here, but like having customers speak in their own terms about how they use it and what value they're getting could be a quick win. And then just inviting perspective, you know, having an out, an outbound cadence. that's not, Hey, can you book a meeting with our sales team? But the outbound cadence is, Hey, um, we have this new event coming up. You could put it in the banner of the website. Um, we're doing the first one of these other things on Thursday and we already have like 350 people signed up for it. So, um, there's probably, there could be something there, which is having customers speak about how they're using it as an educational format. Um, and that could be your initial event strategy, right? So you don't have to pretend to be have like thought leadership and a pod. Like you don't have to go in that direction. You could just say how we get happy customers, and then even that could be the first ten episodes of the podcast if you wanted to. That could also make for good media dollars. You get the video of a customer giving a two minute clip about here's how we use it. This is the value we would ne- we'd never be here without blah 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 company. You clip that into a one minute video, a fifteen second video. It's on Zoom, so it kind of looks low production. It kind of feels raw. I like that for format for a customer testimonial instead of high production. Then you move that into what are the top thousand accounts our SDRs are targeting right now. Let's just run that video in a LinkedIn ad to the CISO and the people in cybersecurity department at these thousand accounts. And let's just do a sort of like, it's almost like trying to augment outbound rather than like fully drive inbound. Um, it's also weird with that level uh, as you keep telling me through it, I I would imagine that there's like a website. Is the website strong? It can't be. No. Yeah, it can't be. So I would like as we keep talking through it, I think the website would be the main place that I focus because even you should have an outbound to inbound motion. Like just by the amount of frequency of outbound that you're doing in email and LinkedIn and calls, that some level of those people aren't going to convert there. They're going to go to the website because they're not ready to book a meeting. They're going to get to the website, and then if the website was effectively communicating, they would convert that way. Um, so yeah, I would spend, I would spend a lot of my initial energy on talking to happy customers and updating the website and potentially using like a level of social proof customer marketing to start to create demand. We, we do have a unique perspective, which I think might be an opportunity for us. Like we've got, we're targeting a different, everybody else in cybersecurity is enterprise and we're not. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's best of breed point solution and we're not. So there might be some, some chances to talk, maybe not thought leadership, but yeah. Antagonistic perspective. Yeah. I think the, like, I think that that's somewhere where you want to end up, but maybe not where you want to start. Like that might okay. be a three months from now, like get it going. Do you know how much website, uh, homepage or overall website traffic you get per month? Uh, 
I could find out really quickly. Yeah, let's do it. We'll uh, keep everyone on for an extra minute. This is going to be a, a really strong indicator. My guess at 18 million, you got to have at least 5,000 website visitors a month. Maybe it's 10 and you're only converting five of those into a sales conversation. And then you can re- like, based on that, the top number, how many total website visitors and then how the very not, low conversion. So about 10,000 visitors per month. Yeah. So like that conversion rate is super, super low, which tells me that there is like a website messaging con- like conversion path um, would be the main place, like would be my number one priority. Awesome. This is helpful. Thank you so much. All right, man. Happy to help. Hope you come back next time. Let's keep working on this together. All right, everyone, before we get out of here, thumbs up, pure AMA or more information, drop it in the chat. Like, would you like to see more of the information? Maybe we mix it up. We kind of keep people on their toes. We'd love to get the feedback. Uh, I personally really enjoyed that. I thought that was cool. We got to go deep, uh, really appreciative for the people that came on live and we had back and forth discussions. It starts to like get us deeper. You get to see how I'm the line of questioning that I'm taking. And like, it, it's funny. Well, not funny, but it's I, interesting. It usually takes like three or four back and forth to really figure out what is the real thing that we should be doing here. And just by like reading questions that get submitted in the chat or submitted by email, you don't get that level of detail. So it's hard to provide really strong recommendations and also to help people as much. So um, this was great. Yeah. Mix it up. Love both. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll be, we'll mix it up more often and we'll do AMAs more often. Um, appreciate y'all being here again. If you want to join that vault event on Thursday, I mentioned it a couple of times, even if you just want to like see how we do it. Cause I think that is going to be a really strong, uh, a really strong tactic, bringing customers into, uh, presenting the product to prospective customers. I think that if you want to check that out, feel free to join the link. Um, and I hope to see you all next Tuesday. We'll be back here. Hope y'all have a great rest of your week. Thanks, everyone.